Hey, this is In at the End, and this is episode 10 of the first season. A hit is a hit. As usual, me, Val, and this guy. I'm Alex. <laughs> um, we just finished watching A Hit is a Hit, and we're going to sit down and talk about it. That's right. I think we'll likely be talking a lot about music. Seems tonight, it. Seems maybe. like a big part of this episode. Um, but I also think that we're going to be talking about some of the other themes that we've really paid attention to in our past analyses, uh, including some of like the black and white, whether it's imagery or whether it's yeah. kind of people's ways of thinking. I think yeah. that, would, that one jumped out at me in this episode. Yeah. And then I want to talk about the women of Sopranos as usual. That's also a topic that I tend to like to delve into. Yeah. What else are you thinking for today? I feel like this episode in particular kind of identifies and isolates different communities. Mm. And I feel like these different, maybe minority or just certain communities of people in a way that they relate to each other, have a certain worldview, a certain area of experience and expertise. And it's really interesting to see them interacting with each other and interacting with the issues that arise during this episode. So yeah. I thought that was something that really came up quite a bit. Great. I also want to talk about mayonnaisers. Mayonnaisers. Or as we call them in Canada, manja cakes. Manja cakes, what a great term. Yeah, so okay, so that sounds good. I think we have stuff to talk about. I think so. Where do you want to start? Well, I think something that came up quite a bit in this episode for me was people getting in over their head and having a fundamental lack of understanding of the way things work, but yeah. wanting to get involved in those things anyway. There were some of like the funniest lines when people were acting like they knew what they ta were talking about. But it was clear that they were really, like you said, like out of their league or out of their element or out of their group. Totally. Yeah, I think there was a lot of examples. 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 <laughs> I think, you know, we had the music is a really clear example of that, where we have people trying to get involved in the music industry who really don't know anything about it. And then having them face the realities of being talked to by experts in the field about maybe the realities of the field like that sound engineer the sound engineer and hesh yeah. to a certain extent and we have massive g who lives in that world but maybe isn't being as honest with the realities of the musical situation i just thought it was really interesting we kind of see something unfold from the beginning to the end where i feel like it's just people are really wanting to engage in a certain industry but they just they really don't know what it is. I mean, there's some lines near the beginning of the episode. Chris saying to Adriana, with the amount you listen to the radio, <laughs> you'd be great. And then having this, you know, the meow song come on and the great studio scene mm -hmm. where they're just they're just clearly in way over their heads. And I think that's happening in different areas as well of yeah. other people trying to get involved in other people's community and just having a fundamental lack of understanding of yeah. how it works. Those munja cakes or, or mayonnaisers trying to understand the gang world, Carmela trying to get involved with the stock market. Yeah, she says CNBC is a very interesting channel. So. <laughs> <laughs> and the reality is, is I think it's just quite cheap. These people don't really get the world that they're, that they're getting involved in. And I mean, the reality with Carmela is she's benefiting from essentially insider trading. Mm -hmm. She's just getting some information fed to her and then making decisions based on that. That woman who feeds her the information is like, we don't just play the stock we market, win. we win. <laughs> and it's like, well, why? Because it's rigged. And I think that's another 
question of this episode is that those white collar, you know, <laughs> these these mm-hmm. kind of like suburban affluent types, they're still engaging in illegal behavior, but it's mm-hmm. just less frowned upon. I thought that, that there was a great line when they're all uh, at the dinner and then they talk about, well, why don't we, you know, those Monte Cristos, what do you say? Mm-hmm. That was the line. Mm-hmm. And even though just before he's saying, oh, well, isn't that illegal? Yeah. But at or, the same or time. Or even Melfi being critical saying, and you accepted them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting because I think this show often brings up the question of, well, when do you cross the line to be mm. complicit in engaging in bad activities? And I think that's a great example of that happening. He knows that it wasn't right to, first of all, accept a present for referring a mm-hmm. psychiatrist. He knows that they're illegal. He knows that he's accepting them from Tony Soprano, who knows how he got them. But then they're all very happy to indulge in it. Yeah. So it's very it's very cheap. I don't yeah. think these people are that principled. And I think that's something that the show is pointing out, the lack of principles in all these different communities. Sure. Well, I think, like, what I got, like, as it relates to the title, it also relates to some of this perspective-taking that I was you know, that I might talk about a little bit later, but the title being a hit is a hit. Yeah. And then there's other lines in the show um, when Hesh, when Christopher is talking to Hesh and Hesh says, music is music, talent yeah. is talent. And I think with these groups, like everyone's the same, like a gangster's a gangster, right? So we have the opening mm-hmm. scenes with the Colombian, um, yeah. you know, who like, is that the only time we encounter the Colombian drug trade? I'm not sure. But this that guy's the same as the as Tony and his crew, yeah. who are the same as, like, Massive G and his right. gangsters, um, who are the same as these, like, white-collar, like, kind of white-collar inside, insider traders, right? Yeah. Um, they also so, have an edit, actually. That first scene, it's yeah. very violent compared to what we've seen so far, there's actually like a gunshot to the head. They get all this money. It's actually like a pretty like classic gang scene. And then there's an edit and goes to the kitchen with Kuzumano and Tony where he hands them the illegal cigars. Yeah. And I think it's just, it's really looking at... And he gets the phone call, yeah. And he gets the phone call. And I think it's just that this illegal activity has really permeated all aspects of society. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting to see how they juxtapose those two scenes. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, the other, like, there's juxtapositions kind of throughout this episode. Um, the one that kind of spoke to me, and, and again, these characters kind of interacting in these contexts that they don't usually belong in, right? Right. So the clearest part of that was really near the beginning of the episode for me when Chris and Adriana go to the theater. They go to Broadway. Right. And, which is a place, you know, you can, like, the way Adriana's dressed, like, if we saw them at a Broadway show, you know, they, they don't quite fit into the Broadway scene of lots of old people. Right. Um, and, um, and then they go to dinner at some very fancy restaurant, right? And then they go get burgers at this other, this, and this other place where they really don't fit right. in either. And then they go to the party at Massive G's, right? Yeah. So they're, I think this show's all about characters coming into conflict with the context that they're put in and they, they're in, you know, complete, um, you know, completely different from who they are as people, right? And so it's like, what do, what do I do as who I am in these different contexts? Right. And similarly, like when we see, you know, I love, I love the scene when they're recording um, Visit, Visitor's Day. Is that the name of the band? Is it uh, 
they're, so they're called Defiler, and then it's called Visiting Day, oh, I believe. Oh, Visiting Day. How okay. could you? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I, I, I don't know which name is better, but I love the scene where Adriana's in the recording studio with the band, with that sound engineer. What was his name? Oh, he, he had a name. Screech or something. Yeah, something Sonic. like that. <laughs> Scrub. Something like that. Um, and he's like, like he's just not yeah. able to deal with it. He's like pulling his hair out. He's yeah. rolling his eyes. Um, and Adriana is kind of playing this role of mm -hmm. like, this is what a music producer should right. do or should look like. So. But she's completely clueless about the yeah. industry. She doesn't really have any expertise outside of listening to the radio. Yeah. And even, I think, the fact that Defiler, this heavy metal band, turns into Visiting Day, this alternative <laughs> band, that quickly is also a testament to this lack of aesthetic that they have, this lack of defined identity. And even what you were talking about in terms of Christopher and Adriana going out to all these kind of disparate places mm -hmm. and relating to different kinds of people, it's interesting because I feel like they lack identity perhaps more than the other mm -hmm, characters mm -hmm. in the show they're as younger characters. Like I think they're trying something. to figure it out yeah. and they're trying to assert themselves and they're kind of trying these different worlds. Ultimately, it doesn't really stick or fit anywhere. Um, but it's just it's interesting to see them experimenting. Mm -hmm. The just in well, it's just kind of random thoughts, but the other thing that was really funny about Visiting Day was that bar that they ended up playing at. I don't know what bar mm -hmm. that was or why they chose it, but it was full of people with mullets. Which <laughs> mullet bar. <laughs> it was like a mullet bar, which I have no idea what bar that was. Even in the 90s, I, I, don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> I don't know any good mullet bars to Me go neither, to. Me neither, yeah. but it was really like out of, like everyone there was out of place except yeah. for all those dudes with mullets. Totally. So yeah. not like, you know, and just the three of them sitting at a table together was also really quite yeah. funny, right, within yeah. that bar. And I, yeah, they're kind of playing pretend to be in the music industry immediately. And I think it's also really interesting to see that compared to Christopher playing pretend to be in the film industry in Later Legend on. of... To well, no, earlier already yeah. in Legend of Tennessee Moltisanti. He's pretending to be a screenwriter and you see his script and it's garbage. Yeah. He has no idea what he's doing and they really don't understand the music world. One thing that I loved watching it this time, there's so many small things that happen in the show that you don't even necessarily pick up on because they're expressed under people's breaths or very quickly. Mm -hmm. But they have a story about Richie, the lead singer, and they talk about... <laughs> Adriana tells Christopher not to bring it up, but the story is about him grilling trout with a downed power line, and then he electrocuted himself. He had third-degree burns. He had third-degree burns. <laughs> but it changed his life. Or to have, what but it changed his life. Yeah, but like it changed his life for the better or something. So I'm glad about that, but I think that is also a testament to, like, they're not dealing with the highest caliber of people. Mm -hmm. They're not. If they're going to be making an investment, I don't think they're doing it that wisely. I don't think it's that informed of a decision mm -hmm. and i think that these people are not people that are going to carry them to the top i don't know but then <laughs> but then we have that moment at the end of the episode right with hesh and, he, and christopher is sitting in the back room of the of, of satrials yeah uh satrials no i think that's satrials yeah uh, i think that's satrials too and he's listening to Visiting Day's album. It's a little bit unclear. It, it sounds like it the, sounds, it sounds like, like the singer Richie. I imagine it has to be. That's that's the only thing it could be. Right. And it's kind of it's like the catchier one of the catchier songs we've heard, maybe except for 
Pesha's 50s Motown song. I mean, Meow is a pretty wonderful <laughs> song. <laughs> that one is good. It's Adriana's favorite. But no, right. but this song that's playing at the end is actually like relatively catchy. And Hesh comes in and you know grabs these like legal papers or mm -hmm. something like that. But then he says, um, now that's a hit, right? And so when you think about things in that black and light in black and white way, like a hit is a hit, what is it that makes a hit a hit? What is it that makes a good stock decision a good stock decision? A lot of it's kind of luck. A lot of it's kind of being in the right place at the right time. But then there's something there's something underneath that's inexplainable. And they kind of talk about it in relation to what you were saying, like these guys aren't going to take them to the top. There's a line, I wrote it down. Um, music is not something you can hold in your hands. It's art, it's an instinct. And I think in some ways, aid could have a good instinct. It's not honed, it's not refined. Mm -hmm. um, she likes that meow song a lot. <laughs> um, Who doesn't? But, you know, like, like, like Hesh heard this moment of them that actually was good. And maybe if they had a chance to, you know, or if he wasn't electrocuted as a young person, maybe he could be, you know, Visiting Day could be a great band. Just like, you know, Carmela had this kind of by luck instinct to bet on the stock market and she, and she won. That's not always going to happen for her. But and yet I feel like it's more than that with the example with Carmela. It's not just luck. That's actually like specifically rigged because they have insider information. So I think yeah. it's not really fair. She's benefiting from the same kind of illegal activity that mm -hmm. her family is benefiting from. Mm -hmm. I just think there's something like, you know, like, well, I don't know. There's just something to it that I feel like all these characters could be really good at these things that they're trying to do and trying to be if they had the right resources if they weren't constantly kind of sucked back into this shit world right. that they live in. Um, it's a lot of stories of kind of lost potential or... I, I, I agree. Yeah. And I think this the show does examine that. The show spends a lot of time looking at what Tony could have been and yeah. what his interests are. And often they're very positive attributes. Yeah. And they're never fully developed. And I think these other characters have similar draws and similar experiences and similar interests but it's true they are never really fully honed and they never really take them out of the world that they're mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. and even also they try yeah and even and also these experts at a certain point what do they really know i mean mm. hesh maybe isn't the right expert to be talking to about this band sure. that is i mean there's also like a new generation but probably neither is massive g probably not and also massive g it, it really seems has other motives for even being in that situation. Yeah. It seems like it really has nothing to do with the music for him. Yeah. And even, and actually for him, it's interesting. It's not even as simple as he's interested in Adriana. He's also interested in the having connection through, well, having, with the mob. having, well, maybe even it's, it's directly aligned to hash to get retribution right. for, for these tracks. I thought that was really interesting in the end, how the show often, has an anticlimax, and in an episode that's called A Hit is a Hit, that we would probably typically interpret as referring to a mob hit or an assassination, mm. Mm. it actually starts with an assassination and ends in a phone call between two kind of rival gangs that we thought maybe could have a climactic fight or something, mm. but it ends up going to this kind of law battle mm -hmm. that they're kind of excited about, but is actually 
rather anticlimactic, and I don't really think ever gets revisited. I was just going to say, do we ever see Massive G again? I don't think we see... I don't think we see Massive G again. Okay. I thought maybe we did in some context. He's not a, he's not a main character. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's too bad. Um, I feel like we his henchman, like Orange or whatever his name was. Yeah, I don't know. Something Orange. I feel like we see him again. Maybe in another <laughs> I don't, show. I don't maybe know. in maybe another, in another show. show. Um... What else? I just want to, I mean, I think all these things are related. I think there is a kind of this quest for identity mm -hmm. that Adriana's on. And for instance, actually, we even kind of see a back tattoo. It's actually a little bit hard to see, mm -hmm. but it looks almost like a treble clef or something. Oh, I think it's a bird. Maybe it's a bird. Well, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm actually not sure. In the first scene, it kind of has that okay. kind of shape. Okay. But whether it is or it isn't, I think she's trying to assert herself and make music a part of her identity. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because they're kind of rolling out Adriana as a character. Right, she's we don't becoming, really know her yet. She's becoming much more multidimensional in front of our eyes. And it's interesting to see her arc. She's really starting in a place where she's trying to define herself in terms of who she is and who she'll be. Mm -hmm. And she's definitely experimenting, but music is somewhere, is a place where she's trying to place her identity. And to yeah. make that a central part of who she is and, and a place where she has freedom, power, and control to define herself and what she does. Yeah, but I think with all these characters, well, particularly maybe the female characters in this episode, like, the second that you rely on someone else at all when you're trying to assert your identity, I think that's kind of when things fall apart a little bit. Mm -hmm. So, like, she says to Christopher, like, I'm doing it and it's all because of you. Yeah. And he's allowed to control what she wears to these sessions. Right. And ultimately, he's kind of the one that, you know, breaks a guitar over Richie and, you know, um, kind of, yeah, destroys that really, I don't know, that relationship going forward. It doesn't seem like she's in the music recording business in subsequent episodes. Right. So he kind of destroys that for her. And, you know, in some ways, similarly with Carmela, right? Like, well, she has that line, actually, that relates to what you're talking yeah. about, where she says to Meadow, a woman has to keep her sense of individuality. Yeah, but then, like, you know, Carmela is in this trap of Tony Soprano. And even when they're, like, she and Meadow are having that conversation about, you know, like, what a woman, women are good savers and yeah. that. Then she's like, you want to go to the spa? Yeah. And they go to the spa. <laughs> um, Great savings plan. Yeah, I don't know. There's it's... something There's something very superficial in that scene for me. That was really what was coming across about Carmela's character. Yeah. Is that as she tries to assert herself, there's something very shallow about what she's engaging in. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's easy to come across as like this stock genius, but... It's just that's really not the reality of this situation. She's mm -hmm. benefiting off of this insider trading information. And everything she's saying, it actually kind of reminded me of Father Dr. Phil. Or just oh, Father yeah. Phil. Yeah. But the things he was saying, there's these kind of like empty statements yeah. that aren't really backed up by action. And yeah. there's kind of a sense of that when she's talking about keeping her sense of individuality and being a good saver and mm -hmm. these these kind of like lessons, life lessons that she's trying to pass on to Meadow don't really feel mm -hmm. that flushed out. Mm -hmm. Well, I think in, in all of the cases, right, like we could even think about the um, the mayonnaisers, the guys who Tony goes to play golf with. Mm -hmm. Like They're like trying to step, like, you know, put their toes into mob waters 
and yeah. you know like kind of live a risky life or whatever they're trying to do and all their statements come across that way too like they're like they don't really make that much sense they you know they it's the same thing as as i was talking about with Adriana and Christopher getting involved in the music yeah, world. Totally. It's actually, that's another great example yeah, of people exactly. being drawn to but not understanding something mm -hmm. else, but really wanting to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. And actually, something I thought was interesting with that was they don't understand that world. Their questions are, they, they don't even really hold together. I mean, they're talking about John Gotti. How old do you think I am, Tony says. Yeah. They're, it's such a basic premise, basic understanding of that world. And what was interesting is that Tony's story, when he actually does kind of open up and shares the bungalow bar story about how he wanted to buy the truck, it's actually so mundane. Mm -hmm. He went to buy an ice cream truck and he does meet John Gotti and he mm -hmm. drives with him and he rings the ice cream truck bell. Mm -hmm. And they all kind of look at each other and I feel like we have another one of those moments where they yell boo at AJ in the fight. Mm -hmm. It's just a big anticlimax. They're confused. They're kind of looking around. but I think it's kind of a great story. It's a great story, but there's also this show embraces that mundane aspect of the mob life. Yeah. That's such a key part of what this show is. Yeah. And they don't get that. Yeah. As outsiders, they're kind of drawn to it for these superficial reasons and these kind of exciting, shiny things that don't exist. Mm -hmm. So there's just a fundamental misunderstanding of what yeah. that world is. My favorite line of the whole episode, I think about, you know, kind of to do with these people saying these things that don't make sense in their industry was when Richie says, I recorded in Denmark. That's a great line. Like really aggressively. <laughs> <laughs> and uh. as a professional musician, I hear some dumb shit like that yeah. quite often. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, do you, what do you think about kind of this, like, so we're seeing this, I think, I mean, we're, we definitely have multiple characters' perspectives in this episode because we're kind of expanding our world. Yeah. But we are still obviously, like, grounded by Tony's experience, right? And so in this episode, he's the only character who we really hear kind of his thoughts on this, these goings-on in some way, right? So he brings up right. the story. Well, he calls himself a dancing bear, right? He feels mm -hmm. like people are using him. Yeah. He feels like... He says he he never really understood what it felt like to be used when he's talking about Jimmy Smash. Jimmy Smash, yeah. So what do you think about that story and kind of like how that fits into what we've been talking about? Yeah, it's interesting. It ends up in a kind of cruel place. It kind of yeah. opens up for a second where we feel like he feels bad for him and he's thinking about his feelings, but it reverts away from that and he makes a kind of callous joke about how the police found out it was him when he was... Robbing a bank. And he ends up just kind of laughing at him again. It starts mm -hmm. off with him laughing, and Melfi's obviously uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And Tony doesn't really seem to find anything wrong with this. But then he does kind of change, and he starts to realize, I never really understood what it felt like to be used. Yeah. And maybe it's only coming from a place of... His empathy is so weak that he could only understand it when it actually happened to him mm -hmm. from these mayonnaisers. But we do see him engaging with that memory in a way that has more empathy yeah. than he typically has. I just wonder if like in every, like when we think back to like when we were talking about stereotypes of groups, for example, like if every group kind of has this dancing bear that people use for that. Like I feel like in some ways like, um, like Tony being 
on you know, in a performance because he is this mob guy, right? Like yeah. everyone's like entertained by him. Mm -hmm. um, Jimmy Smash is, you know, this dude with a cleft palate or like someone with a disability who, you know, is for their entertainment. Adriana in some ways is, you know, for Massive G's entertainment, I think, in a mm -hmm. lot of ways. Like it's kind of this frivolous project that he's going along with and you know he's he's he thinks she's beautiful and whatever but in some ways he's kind of laughing at her and a lot of people are right hesh is kind of laughing right. at her too right so um she's being used for their purposes i don't know i, just I think everybody's being used in. everybody's being used yeah i think everybody's using everyone and i think that's a key thing that shows up in this episode is that everybody's using each other and interloping mm -hmm. into these other people's communities yeah it's um, very bleak, actually. The level of, like, true human connection between any of these characters is pretty non-existent. Yeah. Well, and then I was also, like, trying to think about the way in which the storyline about these reparations that Hesh is being asked to pay. Mm -hmm. What's the name of his artist? Uh, Little Jimmy. Little Jimmy. I think. Okay, I was going to say Jimmy Smalls. But Jimmy Smalls. <laughs> I don't no. think it's Jimmy Smalls. I don't think so. Um, I think you're right. I think it is Little Jimmy, right? So, um how that kind of fits into the larger scope. Yeah. Well, for one, I think it does kind of establish the difference between good and bad music. We have that scene of Hesh listening to Little Jimmy mm -hmm. and then editing to the studio where we have Richie singing and the sound guy mm -hmm. kind of, you know, doing his best to just kind of get through the situation. Mm -hmm. But there's definitely a pretty stark contrast between those two artists. Mm -hmm. And I think that also plays into the themes that this show has already developed of the values of previous generations, right. the watering down of them. Right. And also I think it does respect the experience and benefits of living within a certain industry and world for a while. And I think they personally, and this is my personal takeaway mm -hmm. from it that there is a kind of quality that the show is saying little little Jimmy had that this new band does not and I think that there's a pretty obvious difference between those two mm -hmm. musical artists mm -hmm. and I think that's because Christopher and Adriana at this point kind of have no business in that industry sure. they're interloping yeah um now perhaps Hesh had no business in that industry either he was manipulating it yeah and that he was benefiting from the talent of others. There's always people out there who are doing that. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. Um, I want to talk about some of the women in the episode mm -hmm. really quickly. Because I think, although they don't get a ton... Well, Adriana gets enough screen time, but I because we're being introduced to her. But even the like, the few scenes we get with Carmela, for example, and even with Meadow, and do we see any other female characters? Well, we see the episode? wives. You we know, see we see Kuzumano's wife. Yeah, and we see Melfi. Yeah. So maybe I'll start even with Melfi, right? So there's, we see Melfi in this episode, you know, kind of acting as, a, as this moral compass, which again, I have my doubts about whether or not she really is a good moral compass. But she you know, kind of critiques Kuzumano for taking those cigars. And then she goes to the bathroom in his house mm -hmm. and pretend, well, pretends to go to the bathroom. And she peers through the window. Well, something really interesting about that is before she peers through the window, she takes a piece of toilet paper before she touches their toilet. Yeah. It's like white toilet. Yeah. And 
I'll talk a bit about the colors later, but yeah. I think there was a lot of whites being worn by those mayonnaisers. Yeah. And I think that... Like the color of mayonnaise. Yeah, there was something that kind of tied together that community when they were golfing. There was a lot of white gloves, and all of them were wearing white, white colors except for Tony. But I think Melfi is an interesting character because she lives in that world, but there's something that she finds dirty about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what that not wanting to touch the the toilet totally. represents too. Totally. She she recognizes the problems within that world. And she is drawn to Tony Soprano's world and that's the complication of her relationship yeah. with him and her as a character. Yeah. And I think it's also interesting when she does look out the window and she hears Tony yelling. That's a great Which example. Which I think is very unrealistic. That's okay. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's a TV show. But she hears him yelling and I think that's also a great example of Somebody hearing something from a different world or a different person and, and misinterpreting, interpreting it. it differently. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the irony in that scene is that Tony's actually engaging in the most positive behavior he engages in. Yeah. He's working out and he's yeah. yelling, but everybody kind of gets these bits and pieces of information and starts to interpret them their own way. And it's because they don't understand these other worlds, yeah. but they're interested they're in them and they, yeah. they want to. Or maybe, I don't even know how much they they truly want to be there mm. or understand it, but mm. they are drawn to it. And there's like this kind of like peeping Tom element to it. Totally. In all of, in all of the, you know, context that we're talking about in tonight's episode, there's yeah. definitely that aspect. But yeah, so Melfi, yeah. I, interesting little peek of Melfi here when she's peeking on Tony. Um, but the, you know, Adriana is one of my favorite characters and I love that we get this insight into her here. Because she really, you know, she is a powerful person. She has all these ideas, right? And we see her have more ideas as the series goes on about these business, you know, ventures that she goes on. Um, But it is kind of her tie to Christopher in some ways that does benefit her in the short term, maybe. Like, she does have access to resources that she might not be able to access otherwise. Mm -hmm. But I think that ultimately kind of turns into her downfall and one of the scenes that I really like with her is closer to the end of the episode when she's trying on these dresses and mm-hmm. she comes out and she's wearing a dress she still has her bra on underneath it like because she's just they still they still have the tags mm-hmm. on the dresses and it's a Versace dress mm-hmm. right so like very high end kind of like again like living in this world like she doesn't Adriana doesn't wear Versace you know right. what I mean like she right she wore that red dress to the theater Right. Into the party. It fit in better at the party than it did at the theater. I right. Think, you know? So she's getting these Versace dresses. She's, you know, got this hmm. music producing world now. They're black dresses. I don't know. I know you like I'll to talk there. about colors. <laughs> but, um, and so she puts on this dress and it's beautiful, right? And she says, and Christopher says, like, keep both of them. But then she puts it on with these, like, really trashy looking shoes. Right. And she. And then they get into this conversation, right? That like Massive just wants to get into her pants. And then she starts to say like, um, what about my opinion? Like, don't you respect my opinion? And she says to Christopher, like, this is just another way for you to keep me down. Um, She questions, like she thought that Massive respected her because of her intelligence, um, her talent, right? But then she comes to this realization that that's not what she's being valued for. Yeah. And I think we see that a number, like as Adriana goes on in the series, we see that 
come up again and again. Yeah. That she's not valued for the things that probably are like her best qualities, right? Like she, you know, maybe she is, you know, maybe she does have talent. It's her first band that she's tried to, you know, produce or whatever. And, you know, she won't, she won't have another band that she tries to produce. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting you bring that up. I feel like watching this episode, the woman in this show are almost kind of an oppressed group. Mm -hmm. And I think they aren't given opportunities or respect in a way that really allows them to thrive and to shine. And I think this episode in particular kind of looked at some oppressed groups and minority groups. Mm. That was something that I thought was interesting. There was actually some really interesting shots where they would kind of like zoom from a person to person that kind of represented a different world. In this episode, we have the Jewish community, we have the Italian community, we have the African-American community, Mm -hmm. we have women on the Mm -hmm. whole. And I think all of these different communities have different struggles and challenges to deal with. And they all interact with these different communities with a certain aspect of not understanding the realities of those other worlds. Similar to what we've been talking about in this episode of people just not understanding the realities of different institutions and cultures and and areas of experience. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I thought I thought that that was or and really also but also not able to see the overlaps between their groups either, right. right? So yes, like not understanding, but also not able to see the similarities, right? So we see that in the conversation between Hesh and Massive, where they're both talking about how yeah. both of their groups are oppressed, right. right? Like they don't see that as a point of connection. They see they still are as like, an area of competition almost. Yeah, it was very, yeah. It was clear that that yeah. wasn't going to be somewhat like they didn't bond over right. it. Actually, one one other community that I didn't bring up is this kind of white collar community. Yeah. Which, again, we see Tony kind of interacting with that. Yeah. Actually, it's interesting because you were saying I can't resist, but the color thing. There's a few things that the show does in this episode that are pretty strong. In that first scene where you, you mentioned the red dress that Adriana was wearing, her and Christopher have this very strong red color mm. palette when they're going out to the show mm-hmm. finding massive g with a very strong blue mm-hmm. kind of color blue, scheme yeah yeah I, I for me it really actually seemed just like kind of like a strident okay. blue okay. but they're almost like opposing colors mm-hmm. and actually the way they constructed some of the frames when they're at massive g's house there was actually like two sides of the frame and there's like red and blue mm-hmm. and it's interesting because Throughout the episode, the colors kind of come back at different times. Actually, when we have that talk about Richie electrocuting himself, they're actually in, like, all blue sheets. Mm-hmm. It seems like they're almost, like, getting involved in the music world. Mm-hmm. They've actually been, like, enticed and drawn into this mm-hmm. other world. Mm-hmm. And it's also interesting to think about these very strident colors for the the Italian gangsters and the African-American gangsters as opposed to the kind of, like, white white collar that we yeah. see of of the white community yeah and actually there was even a scene where they cut to the dinner party and kuzumano has like i think like a black shirt on and you can actually just see like a white undershirt underneath kind of like making like a white collar even right right right, right. and when they're all golfing these white gloves yeah like the fact that they're all wearing polo shirts yeah yeah um, but it's and then actually so you were talking about later on she has this black dress where she's been enticed into another world mm-hmm. where she doesn't really belong and actually mm-hmm. what's carmela wearing after she does the makes stock the stock trade this like power black dress yeah and she's wearing blue when we first see Carmela yeah. too and she's just like in the kitchen it's really complicated one thing that I thought was super interesting in this episode is the the morphing color scheme mm. of this show 
I don't think there's necessarily consistency in terms of their their kind of symbols of color. Not so like it's Breaking a, Bad. Well, it's not. Maybe it's not as simple as that. Is like yellow equals this, yeah. blue equals this. It's almost on an episode by episode basis, where they've developed a language where colors are important and reinforce the themes of an episode. Mm-hmm. I, I, so I feel like it's it's too. constantly changing, and you have to really kind of extract what's important within an episode. Yeah. And then colors kind of support that. In this episode, though, Massive G's right hand man, his name was something orange. It's true. Yeah. And he was wearing orange. What's that? <laughs> I can't answer all the color questions. Okay. I do my best. Okay. <laughs> we just come and talk right the after the episode. Orange. He was the only orange guy. I have to I have to devise a full color theory if you want me to get there. I, I would like you to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. I, I only had like a couple other little things for okay. this episode. This episode's been critiqued a lot. It like has. so that's the one thing that's kind of so interesting, actually, I've, right? I saw it being listed as the worst episode of season one. The worst episode. <laughs> I mean, I, I like it. I mean, there's I, a lot of competition. I, I think because I, I like Adriana. I also really like yeah. Hesh. So actually, yeah. episodes that have those guys in there, um, yeah. I kind of gravitate towards those two characters, maybe. I find it interesting, the kind of arc of this season. Mm. It's a lot of mini arcs. It's a lot of mini arcs, but you have kind of like college separating the first four episodes. You have this kind of standalone episode. And I do think like Legend of Tennessee Moltisanti, Boca, and then this episode, A Hit is a Hit. It is, I don't want to call it a lull, but I don't know if it has the same kind of genius of form that Mm. the other parts of this season do. Mm. By the time this season ends, I'm always so blown away by it how fully they've developed such a huge ensemble of characters, mm. how fully they've thought through the complete arc of the season, how how punchy it is, like how much you really feel where the season goes, how dramatic yeah. it is. Yeah. Because it really ends up in an extremely well, it dramatic to place. Go pretty fast. But yeah. we haven't really been having any plot development that's getting us there. Yeah. It's all character development. Yeah. But the last three episodes, I don't know if they go as deep as some of the others in this season. Yeah. And I don't know if they're as effective and clear in their vision of getting across the main themes of The Sopranos. I yeah. love them, but if you have to look at the whole the whole show, I think perhaps there's there is a bit of time in this season where it's not quite as perfectly architected. Yeah, this is also such a different show than what viewers and even what we're used to watching. Like even if you compare this show to The Wire. Mm-hmm. which is like a much more plot-driven show, um, you can see how The Sopranos is not The Wire. Right. Right? But and but that's okay with me. Like, honestly, It's a completely I, different show. From, like, the overarching plot for me has never been mm-hmm. what I go to The Sopranos for, right? It's yeah. almost kind of like, I, I feel like it's David Chase kind of playing with us in some ways, too. Like... You know, we expect these things out of a plot or an arc for a television season, but then he gives us something completely different, and I love that about him. Yeah. Um, I think he's the one who, like, invented the penultimate episode thing. It definitely you know, became a lot like, more prevalent after de- this now show. Now every show has, like, the penultimate episode. The peak episode of drama happens there. So and then dramatic. you have, but the great thing about that is that then you have an episode at the end of the, se- of the, ser- yeah, the, the season, season to kind of examine the collateral damage of the events yeah. of the penultimate episode, I which is really ge- fascinating. I think it's genius. And then I think, like, what I love about The Sopranos, what I've always loved about The Sopranos, 
is this character development. So the fact that we have these episodes that are focusing in on yeah. these characters, um, I kind of love it. I don't yeah. know. I don't have complaints about it. Again, it's actually like, very refreshing. It's because yeah. I mean, so many shows are so literal. And, and it for is the like show these, to yeah, these short stories that I kind of come to The Sopranos for. So I don't know. I love every episode. Me too. So it's hard, but. One other stray observation I had was in with this topic of crews and communities. It was interesting to see Tony and Polly kind of tied together. There's actually a great shot near the end, Polly's arm, where he has a lion tattoo, yeah. which is actually the same tattoo that we see on Tony's arm, yeah. which I believe is also on Johnny Boy's arm, too. Oh, yeah. So they're actually all tied together through this tattoo that they have. Right. Which is a very kind of like visual way to see the way that they're all kind of brought together and have the same values and shared background. Yeah, well, and in each of the groups we can see that, right? Like all those dweebs at the barbecue dress the very same and all their wives dress the very same, mm -hmm. right? Like, um, In Massive G's crowd kind yeah. of dresses in a similar way. Yeah. We don't see anybody other than Hesh of his friends, but... Yeah, does Hesh have friends? <laughs> does Hesh have friends? That's a good question. Yeah, he just kind of like pops in and out. Um, his horses. Yeah, <laughs> the music, those music people, they're funny. Yeah, I don't know, like it's like signifiers. It goes back to kind of what we were talking about when we were talking about stereotyping of groups, right? Like yeah. it is like all everyone has these stereotypes or these views of groups that they are not part of and they don't understand and so I think that Chase also plays with us here by like kind of eliciting those responses from us right like I said like those white collar dweebs like he did he made them look dweeby on purpose right <laughs> like yeah. that, that's part of his his shtick and it elicits a certain response from us that yeah. you know how how we're to view this group of people totally yeah I love, there was some great shots of New York at the beginning of the episode. That's right, what did they have? They had, had like a street, and then they had, um, when they were outside the chicken, or the burger place, mm -hmm. it was just very New York. They had three of them. I mm -hmm. can't remember what they exactly were, but yeah. yeah. Good New York times. And the, and the hotel room that they were in, I think, was also in New York, if I'm right. not mistaken. I don't know what hotel. Right. But And I also love all the music that they wrote for this episode. I think right. this episode, like like we said, is a lot about music. And so many of the songs were like written especially for this episode. And some of them are so terrible. My favorite, I don't know, Even Meow. Meow Meow's, is amazing. Meow's amazing. And it's Adriana's favorite. But I really am rather partial to Defiler's hit. Mm, defile me? Defile you. Defile you. <laughs> You're gonna defile, defile you. I'm right. gonna defile, defile you. Anyways, right. that's a classic. It's a classic. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then there was the one where they're singing, when they go to the club, they're singing a different song. Right. That was very nondescript. And then we have the song that is playing um, when Christopher is in the back room and Hush comes in. So we right. have like at least four, well four. Oh, and plus, plus I guess the song that's supposed to be Little Jimmy's song. We that's hear that, right. and that was written for this episode as well. That's not a right. real Motown song. Right. Um, and so we have actually like five songs that they wrote for this episode. Right. Um, the Little Jimmy one is great. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. was a hit. A hit. Hit is a hit. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening. Yeah, that's it. And we'll see you next time. We're getting close to the end of the first season. Yeah, three more episodes in the first season. It's pretty exciting. Great.
Great. So, okay. See you next time. See you next time.